Well, let's go to the Word, shall we? Man, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would put your eyes together on this morning's text, which is in Mark chapter 1. For those of you here with us last week, I mentioned that we're in the season of Epiphany, which actually began yesterday. And throughout church history, the church has acknowledged the day of January the 6th, 12 days after Christmas, which is where we get the idea of the 12 days of Christmas, beginning on Christmas Day and ending on Epiphany, which is the historical celebration of Christ being revealed to the Gentiles, that he's not just the Lord of the Jews, he is also the Lord of the Gentiles, and there is so much from a missiological, eschatological nation's standpoint that we could break down as far as that's concerned. Today on the church calendar is actually known as the day of the baptism of Jesus. So we're going to put our eyes on Mark's version of the baptism of Jesus, and I'm going to pray And we're going to try to squeeze as much out of these next 20 minutes as possible. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our hearts are full. Our hearts are grateful. Lord, our hearts are expectant. And Lord, today as we stand under the administration, under the sacrament of the preaching of the word, Lord, we ask that you would form us and that you would shape us. Father, this word in and of itself contains no power This word, married with the power of the Spirit, has the power to transform our lives and our minds and renew us and to help us think our thoughts in alignment with the very thoughts of God. Lord, your word cuts. Lord, it's like a sword that divides the soul and the spirit. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light to our path. It is honey, O God, to our appetite. It is spiritual sustenance. We need the word of God. And we ask today that the spirit of God would illuminate and inspire the word today with and through this preaching and even beyond as we look at the text, as we read it on the screen and with our Bibles, Father, we pray that your spirit would hover over in and through the word and speak to us collectively and individually today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's put our eyes together on the text and I'm actually gonna begin in verse one. We're gonna read verse one all the way through 11. In Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is God's word. There is so much that we could delve into. I mean, it's ridiculous. Guys, literally, books upon books upon books through multiple ecclesial traditions on the idea and on the ordinance and sacrament of baptism alone, we could spend weeks just pulling out the significance of what baptism is, both in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in this moment, the difference between John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, the significance of baptism for the church, that in the early church it was the rite of initiation, that actually it was the moment where the church says, we receive you into the church. Now let's just, oh, I wish I had time. Think about that. Think about that. When the church began at Jesus' ascension and at the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, and these believers were swarming into the kingdom of God, the first few decades into the first hundred years of what is known as the apostolic age and the early church, the idea of entering into the church was not this thing where we would, we would go to a service and we would have our checklist out and we would think about the music and we would check out, you know, which beans the coffee was, was being used from, which roasters they were using and how loud the music was or wasn't it. They played our favorite song. No, 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 no. The church actually said, we receive you. You don't choose us. We receive you. And, in order, and in, if you want to be a Christian, there's actually a process here. And depending on cert, certain groupings and in certain cities, that process could have been anywhere from six months to two years. And it culminated at baptism. And prior to baptism, you actually sat down with two of the bishops of the church, one on each side. And you brought somebody with you, a spouse or a parent or someone who could vouch for your character and you would recite the creeds of the faith and you would declare why you wanted to be a follower of Jesus and enter into fellowship with God's people, the church, how far we've come. So we could talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about John the Baptist being the herald and being literally an Elijah figure who was literally in the spirit of Elijah coming to prepare the way for Christ. And we could talk about the fact that, that John the Baptist's unique anointing as a prophetic mouthpiece to make the low places high and the high places low. And we could pull that into our contemporary culture, but we're not going to talk about that. Because this is the season of Epiphany. And this is the season where we say, Jesus, you want to reveal something special and unique about yourself to us. And so with all of these things, we could talk about the church, we could talk about the prophetic, we could talk about ordinances and sacraments, but we're going to talk specifically in the next 10 minutes about what unique about Jesus is revealed in this passage. I got two thoughts, which gives me about five minutes on each. Here's the first one. Look at my, my boy right here. Encourage me. You can do. You got this. He's like, stop saying how much time you got left and keep preaching. Here's number one. Jesus is the convergence of all things. Jesus is the convergence 
of all things. We could say this a number of ways. We can say Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. We could say that Jesus is central to everything in Christianity, both Old Testament and New. We can say that everything finds its significance, its place, its priority, its position, its function, its relevance in Christ. And if you can't root and anchor what you are doing in Christ, I don't care how experiential or sensational or wonderful or powerful it may seem to you, if it is not tethered deeply and clearly to Christ, we need to examine it. Jesus is the convergence of all things. In this passage, and if we get into the actual, just the biblical exegesis of this, there are so many things that Mark's doing at the same time. The fact that he pulls in John the Baptist very, very quickly. He quotes from three Old Testament passages in the first two verses. Verse one, he says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, which the Hebrew people are gonna identify with. And right after the comma, he says, the son of God, which the Roman Gentile people are gonna identify with because Mark is communicating with what many scholars believe is the Roman church that's being persecuted in AD 64 to 67 under Nero. So, so Mark is wanting to do, he's, he's up to something here. Every gospel writer has an agenda. We said that last week. And one of Mark's agendas here is not only speaking to the Hebrews and the Israelite people like Matthew was, but actually pulling them together and saying that when the Christ came, he destroyed all the dividing walls and he pulled all things together in himself. All things together in himself. Jesus pulls time together. He pulls the old into the new, and he pulls the new into the old. And in that moment where Christ stands, all of time pulls together. He pulls heaven and earth together. Now, here's the thought here. Isn't it amazing? Oh, I just wish, I wish you understood that when John the Baptist, literally it says this, it says that everyone from the region of Judea and Jerusalem went out to Jesus confessing their sins and John baptized them in the desert. So this is a public moment. It's a public act. And then kind of out of the blue, just in a normal Chronos moment, Jesus comes on the scene, John baptizes him, and at the culmination of the story, Mark says that the heavens were split open. But isn't it interesting that nowhere in any of the gospel accounts do we see anybody throughout the entirety of all four gospels ever saying anything about that moment? And why is that? Why is it that in Matthew's account that John the Baptist is in prison and he's questioning whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah when according to all four gospel writers, heaven opened, the voice of God was spoken, the spirit of God came down like a dove. How are you forgetting this? I have a theory. And the theory very simply is this, that nobody else saw but the gospel writer by revelation had a, had a view into the realm of the spirit. Now, this is a sacramental moment. The early church said there are two primary sacraments in the church, the Lord's table and baptism. And we have preached now over the past year that these are moments of encounter, that there is mystery that is taking place, that heaven and earth are converging, that heaven and earth are merging and marrying, that there is something that is deeply spiritual and prophetic and dynamic that is happening in these moments, even if nobody else can see it. Even if you yourself cannot see it, I'm convinced 
that even John the Baptist was not aware of what was happening in the spirit. It was revealed after the fact, hey, listen, in that moment, in that sacramental moment, when Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, went into those waters, when he came out, heaven split, and there was this moment when heaven and earth kissed and they met. That's what happens when you encounter the presence of the Lord. Heaven and earth overlap. So in Christ, we find convergence. In these verses, we can find the convergence of three particular streams. We find the evangelical, the sacramental, the Pentecostal. In this moment, we find the power of the word proclaimed. Mark starts his prologue quoting the word of God. Hey, we're evangelical people. We're people of the word. We're people who believe in the power and the inspiration of the word. We believe it's not just the words of man. We believe that somehow God, in the way that he desires to do and has always done, that God speaks to and speaks through and he speaks with human beings and he brings forth these divinely inspired words that we say these are authoritative as scripture for the church, the formation of the church, the understanding of the kingdom, the wisdom of God, the revelation of who Christ is in the earth. We believe that as evangelicals. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're people of the word. At Antioch Church, we are always, we're gonna, we're gonna preach the word. We're gonna prophesy the word. We're gonna pray the word. We're gonna have corporate readings of the word. We're gonna sit under the word. We're gonna read the word. We're gonna study the word. We love the word. Because we belong to this beautiful tradition called the evangelical tradition. And we see this, sorry, I'm preaching so fast. We see this in these 11 verses. But we also see this sacramental revelation. What does that mean? Why do you keep using that word? It very simply means we see this mystery where spiritual things and natural things, they actually move together and they merge together and they work together. We believe, I believe, that God uses very tangible things, things of the earth. He uses materiality and he incarnates them with spirit. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so when we come to the table and we touch things that are material like bread and crackers and a loaf and a cup, we believe that this is material. Just like Jesus' flesh was material. But we believe that it's not just material because in the same way that the Spirit of God completely fulfilled Jesus up, that there was something that was natural and spiritual, natural, supernatural, material, divine, and it was merging and marrying together. That's the way to live our lives. Your work is sacramental. Your marriage is sacramental. This moment is sacramental. What does that mean? It means that we're not just doing things of the natural world. That we believe as people of the spirit that, that, that all of life is to be this merger and this marriage of the spirit and the natural. And if we tilt one way, we get into materialism and reductionism, which very simply means that we, we kind of bracket out all of the things that we can't understand. Are you with me? So that means that all of the miracles, all the healings, all the breaking of bread, feeding of 5,000, we can't logically explain that in the natural. So it just means that we create goofy ideas and doctrines that say that those things only happen then, they can't happen today. That's false. But on the other side, which is where some of us kind of tend to lean, is we get a little too spiritual. And we don't take a look at natural things. And we just want to do spiritual things. And we want to assume that spiritual things are more important than natural things. They are not more important. 
Your prayer life, I could get stoned for this. Your prayer life is not more important than you washing the dishes to bless your spouse. Your Bible reading time is not more important than you showing up to work on time and doing what's right. We are people who hold the, the natural and the spiritual in perfect balance and tension. And we live in that as holistic people. We are not dualists. Thirdly, we see a convergence of the Pentecostal. What does that mean? This is my favorite. We see Holy Ghost all over these 11 verses. Holy Ghost all over these 11 verses. We see that Jesus comes up out of the water, and what's the first thing that happens? The Spirit of God comes down and descends on him. And I like John's account because John says the Spirit of God didn't just come down. He remained on him. He rested on him. There's a lot of implication there. There's a lot of implication that somehow in this public ordination, so historically Jesus has not popped up on the scene till this moment, and he shows up in this ridiculously public setting, and when he shows up, he submits to the authority, the spiritual authority resting on man from God. Now let's shift gears here. So Jesus is the convergence of all things. He's the convergence of time. He's the convergence of the fulfillment of the law. He's the convergence of two covenants. He's the convergence of two testaments. He's the convergence of two stories. He's the convergence of all streams. And as people who love Christ, we really ought to be less narrow-minded and more open to what the fullness of God could look like through multiple streams. We really should. But the second thing that we see that's really interesting, I'm going to stay down here. We see that Jesus is a man under authority. Jesus is a man under authority. Now the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance that prepared people for the Messiah. But hold up, Jesus is the Messiah. And he don't have any sin. So what in the world is Jesus being baptized by John for? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, tell me. I've wrestled with that question all week long. Scholars, commentators have wrestled with that question all week long. And there's a lot of ideas, one of which is that when Jesus comes, Matthew's account says this. Jesus says, listen, let us do this, John, because it is appropriate for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Guys, Jesus wasn't just some renegade in the name of the Spirit because he was God and had all authority, was completely omnipotent, was completely omniscient. He didn't just roll up on the scene and say, everything you guys are doing is completely whack, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my new deal here. No, Jesus entered into what existed and ordained by God and submitted himself to it. Now think about this. Jesus submitted himself to the man who doubted who he was, who he was in his darkest hour. So Jesus... The perfection submits himself to imperfect people. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Word incarnate, allows a human man to proclaim the Word over him. I mean, we're not talking, just so you guys know, let's go to the text. The scripture says when Jesus came out of the water. What's the implication there? Yes, he went under, and going under, there's soteriological implications, salvation. There's ecclesiological implications, the birth into the church. But here's, here's just the simplest implication of this. 
that Jesus submitted himself in trust, in humility, in surrender and obedience to God through a man. Think about that. Think about that. No sin, didn't have to do it. Now, here's a little neat historical fact. Those who were immersed, there were, there were this, 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 the ceremonial washings were something that the Jewish people did, and it's also something that the pagan people did. This wasn't something that was unique to this moment. It wasn't unique to the Jews. The, 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 the Greco-Roman world participated in these ceremonial washings. Now, the thing that separated immersion was this idea that if you wanted, prior to Christ, if you wanted to be a God follower and you were a Gentile, the way that you demonstrated that was through baptism by immersion. Was by you saying, I am going to completely surrender and submit my life in trust to this new way. So we've got two things going on here. It's a, it is a ceremony of purification, and it's also a ceremony of being inducted into the Jewish faith. And many Jewish people found it offensive. They found it offensive. If you're saying that I need to be baptized by immersion, you're implying that I'm not a real Jew. And that was offensive to the real Jews. And Jesus, in this moment, carries no offense. Think about the epiphany. The spirit of the humility upon Jesus that says, I can submit to a fallible man I can submit to an old order and an old system. Come on, all you new, new order, new wine, new blood, new, new dimension, new portal, new people. Okay? Jesus submits to that. And he submits to it to identify with it so that he can redeem it. He submits to it. Now, think about the implication. I'm just going to do a really quick look. Okay. If I, if I gave an altar call right now, for anyone who is struggling with unclean thoughts, and you came down here, what is everybody in the room going to think? Oh my God, they struggle with unclean thoughts. Think about it. That's what's going on in this public baptism. Who are the people getting baptized? They're the outcasts. They're the tax collectors. They're the sinners. They're the marginalized. They're the prostitute. And Jesus says, that's who I want to be with. I'm going to identify with the sinners, and I'm not even worried about what anybody else thinks about me because I want to get as close to the sinners of this world to take on their sin, to identify with them so that I can redeem them. That's your, that's your Savior. That's my Savior. That's our Jesus. He was a man under authority, redeeming old structures, old laws, old ways. Many historians and commentators believe that baptism was never the same after Jesus went into those waters. And in what he was doing was a foretaste and it was a forerunning of him actually baptizing a church and creating a people. Come on, let's stand to your feet this morning.